uh, Tanglewood Baptist Church in Odessa, Texas, <clears throat> and uh, for many years was uh, my father's one of my father's closest friends and travel companions. And over the last uh, several years, I've had the privilege of having him as a friend and as a as a as a counselor that I could go to and reach out to and ask for <clears throat> wise sage advice. And um, I'm so thankful for him. Um, he has uh, preached in our church a number of times. Of course, uh, the last time that he came, he was not able to preach with us. And um, so we wanted to get him back on the books. And then this nasty old thing happened called COVID. And so uh, this was the, the next best opportunity that we've had to have him back with us. And what a day to have him back with us. Y'all welcome uh, Dr. Linda Lee as he comes. stay down here if you don't mind. He's right. Two years ago, I, you flew me in here. You put me in a motel. You fed me. And then I got sick on Sunday morning. So I ate your food and stayed in your hotel and took a love offering and went home. I felt kind of bad about it. Um, in fact, I took a Dramamine in the room this morning just in case. Uh, and I, I told Donna, I said, I, I'm kind of tempted to begin this morning with, as I was about to say, um, but it, it really wouldn't fit. Um, it's good to have uh, the sister church here. I, our church in Odessa is, what do you think, honey, about a third Hispanic? Pero ellos hablo inglés. Y... E escuchen English. See? So uh, they're with us, and we have very Hispanic culture out there, and so uh, it's uh, uh, so everything starts late, and you know, and you just get used to it. Uh, I have a lot I'd like to say, and I just don't know if I can say it all. Uh, I'm a little tender this morning. A couple of weeks ago, our, my secretary at the church, she's been my secretary for nine years, on a Thursday morning, her husband took his own life, and uh, very well liked in our church, and she's very loved. Uh, I was there when she, she was there at the church when she got the call, so I was there during the day and with the coroner and everything. It, it fell to me, they, he left a, a 10, 11, and a 12-year-old, and it fell to me to tell them. Uh, she wasn't up to it. Uh, I had preached four suicide funerals. I could have done my whole ministry without those, and I thought I was probably done, but uh, we did this one Friday. And uh, it, uh, it's been a rough time for us. And, uh, you know, even the couple of nights before, I... I slept that funeral. I kept waking up. I had one weird dream that someone was speaking, and I was up next, and I had all the wrong notes and all the wrong stories, and I was panicked, and I didn't know what I was going to do, and I guess I woke up before I even figured it out and um, just kind of stressed and tired and wasn't concentrating. We came in yesterday morning, had an easy morning, had lunch uh, with the gang, and we checked in our motel at 3. I never left the room. Uh, didn't turn on the TV either. We just uh, 
we just read and talked and rested and it was it was good for us I think we really needed that um, so if I if I bubble up a little bit this morning don't call me a wash rag or something it's a it's a it's a real tender season for us um, I remember when this church started uh, in 1981, uh, we planted a church over in League City. So I remember when Earl Estep originally came here and the church began to meet over on 2351, a little, little building, I'm sure it's not there. And this church had been, this building had been a Nazarene church. They had uh, no longer met and Southgate Baptist Church had been renting it. And, oh, there's a lot of detail I could give you. We just don't have time. But they had moved down Main Street. This opened up, and so Friendswood Baptist moved into here. And, and so I remember very well the church kind of taking hold and growing. I remember the people coming one Sunday morning with a note on the door that said, uh, we're closed and leave the same way you came. And, and there was, the money was gone, and a lot of the furniture was gone. And humanly speaking, the church was done. And uh, it just worked out in God's providence that Rick Austin was in the Metroplex and kind of between gigs, if you would. And Dr. Oldham said, go down there and either help them get it going again or shut it down properly. And so he came. I heard he had come. I remember driving over here and his, it was, y'all were driving that gold cutlass, weren't you? That, thing ran on prayer I, I, I'm not kidding I think he had a pair of pantyhose for a for a fan belt and uh, and and he wasn't here I left my card under a under the windshield wiper I think somebody had taken him to lunch and he called me back later now I, I went to school for a short time with Rick I was getting started he was finishing off um, I had met him at a conference up north, and funny, he didn't remember it. I, I, I think I told this at, at his funeral. Uh, I remembered him, but he didn't remember me. And I used to tell him I had a better memory than he did, and he would tell me that he made a better impression than I do. <laughs> uh, uh, we overlapped about five years and uh, became fast, fast friends. Uh, different as night and day. If there was a, a better parallel, I would say it was more than that. We were very different. He was very outgoing. I'm not. His greatest strength was outside the pulpit. Those of you who don't remember Brother Rick, he really wasn't a very good preacher. Don't tell him I said that. Uh, any rate, we used we. We'd go to a meeting together, and for a few weeks, I'd be friendlier, and he'd read more, you know. And then we'd go back to regular. But uh, I still miss him. Um, humanly speaking, uh, the reason this church is here, Dr. Oldham used to say, humanly speaking, is because they showed up. Somehow he got a, a list of the names of, of the people he called a meeting I think about 15 people showed up. Now, my memory may be a little fuzzy. 
One of them in particular just so he could say to someone he never wanted anything to do with this place again. And he talked to them and said, take a week and decide what you want to do. And they wanted to keep going. He was not going to be the pastor here. He had no intention. He wanted to go to the Metroplex. He wanted to live in Mecca. And, uh, but God, God just had a different plan. And so uh, it's, a, it's a great story. There's a, boy, I could, I could give you a lot of interesting details of how God worked to preserve this church. Um, it's good to be here. Uh, Mitch, I enjoyed the music, man. I, I remember Mitch way back. I remember when he had hair. And, uh, and I had more. And uh, I think one of, the, one of the best decisions you've made since you've been here was bringing this guy on and, uh, and you agreeing to come on. As I remember, Mitch was at kind of a loose end spot where you wonder if God's done with you. And he wasn't. And it gets better every time I come. The first time I came, I think you were playing the piano and you had like some background music going and, and it was still better. I remember Brittany saying, I feel like we worship here. And, but boy, this is just getting better and better. And uh, I always look forward to that. It's good. You got drums. I can just hear the echo. Let me say this. <laughs> As long as I'm pastor of this church, we'll not have those devil drums on our platform. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Oh, how things change. Well, it's an anniversary. Uh, your pastor mentioned COVID. Um, you know, we weren't prepared for COVID, were we? I've preached for years, and, and it'll be 41 years uh, since we planted uh, Grace in next month. And I can remember saying, you know, one of these days we won't be able to meet, and we'll see. We'll see who's genuine and who's not. Who would have thought that it would have come at us the way it did? To where if you met... Even the Christian community thought you were uncompassionate and not concerned with others. But we didn't know how to do it. Churches fought to survive. We, we, there was no game plan. We didn't know what the rules were. With very few exceptions, we, we had to not meet for a while. And I had friends who, they, they, didn't, they couldn't live stream well. All of a sudden, the bandwidth shrunk. Every church in America was trying to broadcast at the same time, and things would hitch and start, and we had to buy more bandwidth. And a lot of churches weren't set up for electronic giving. And so they had to do it overnight. And let me tell you, you better shop that because some of those guys will eat you alive, and they'll take a big percentage of that giving. And, and we were hurrying around. Fortunately, we were going on both of those, but we had to, to improve on some things. You know, we, our camera wasn't very good, and, and, and we were working on it, and we got to meeting again. We wanted, we wanted to survive, and a lot of churches just didn't survive. And they shut down... They didn't know what to do. Uh, finally, as things eased up, we, we tried, then we're trying to reconstruct. 
We're trying to get back where we were. And let me tell you, you talk to any pastor, you go to any pastor meeting, and you start talking things, and they'll say, well, before COVID, now after COVID, because they're not the same. Uh, If you are a reader, you find there aren't really any books out there assessing the COVID movement and where we go afterward, because we still are trying to get out of it, and nobody knows, which is interesting, because there are guys that know everything. They are as smart as God. They know everything, but they don't know this. And I haven't seen any books on here are the rules. Here's how you fix it. We're still trying to figure it out. And so very few of us, of our churches, have gone from reconstruction, I guess we could use, to trying to prosper. We're still trying to regroup because... Everything, or most everything's different. Um, we have got people that never came back that just shocked me. Uh, I wouldn't have thought. And of course, we're, we're live streaming now, and I think they found out it's kind of nice sitting at home in my underwear. And, and, and I can log in and leave the room, and they don't even know. As far as they know, I'm watching this. Um, and we don't know. world's changed. So here you are on an anniversary. It's amazing that you're here, all things told. Um, so where do you go? Uh, I want to read you three verses out of Ephesians. Um, no, let's not do Ephesians. Let's do First Timothy, since that's where the message is. Uh, I'm thinking of the church at Ephesus. And uh, First Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Uh, here's what Paul said to Timothy. Timothy was his preacher boy. Paul kind of had an, the Paul Evangelistic Association, and he had some young men. And sometimes when he left a place... They needed someone to stay there, and Paul couldn't. Uh, Timothy drew Ephesus, which was a pretty good assignment. Titus drew Crete, which was not so good. Uh, It was a rough ministry. And so Timothy, uh, Paul is telling Timothy some things he needed. It's it's basically 1st, 2nd Timothy are good, what they call pastoral theology books on, on how to pastor, things to do, things not to do. And here's what he says. He said, I bethought, I besought thee, to abide still at Ephesus. Now, I want you to stay there when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Uh, you, you need to watch over this thing because error is creeping in. Neither give heed to fables, endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying. Some, some things, listen, questions will divide quicker than build up, right? Uh, that, those kind of questions. Uh, Godly edifying, which is in faith. So do that. He said, I want you to do it. Here we go, verse 5. Now the end of the commandment. He said, here's here's what I'm driving at. The end of the commandment is charity. Now, charity doesn't mean now what it meant 400 plus years ago. When we think of charity now, we think of writing a check. Um, That that Greek word is... um, is agape. It's love. I'm going to chase a rabbit here. Um, 
Charity out of a pure heart, good conscience, and faith unfeigned. Um, the New Testament was written in Greek. Okay, we, I, probably you know that. It was written in what they call Koine Greek, which is common Greek. Uh, by the first century, we had a really unique time going. Uh, Galatians 4.4 4 says, When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. This was the fullness of the time. God had kind of backed up the, the, the confusion of languages at, at Babel. And so for the first time in like ever, Rome is running the Western world. Now there were some negatives about that, but with the Pax Romana, one of the good things is roads were safe. You didn't want to be a, 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 way, a waylayer in Rome's day because they wanted safe roads, and they had good roads. The sea lanes were safe. You didn't want to be a pirate during Rome's day. They patrolled those seas. All the borders were open. They ran the world. You didn't, need, you didn't need a passport, so to speak. You could go anywhere, and everybody spoke some Greek. That was the language of commerce, and if you were going to get by, you had to at least speak some Greek. So you got almost no barriers. And for about 40 years, the gospel just went crazy. Because everything was open. The fullness of the time had come. The temple is still standing. I mean, everything's going. So Greek had moved from classical Greek, which is a very complicated language, it's actually tonal, moved to common Greek, which is simpler, though it's still pretty complicated. So being the common Greek, and this is where, where I'm driving at, Words that we see in the New Testament that are theological words were not theological words then. They were just words everybody used. It was written so the average guy could understand it. So propitiation, you th oh, well, that's a theological term. Well, it is, but everybody knew what it was to propitiate those days. You settled somebody down that was angry. And it was just a word. He didn't expect you to have to have a theological dictionary next to you to read this. These were written to people, working people. So agape... I know, and I know you've heard it, and, and maybe you've said, well, that's God's love. That's a special love. That's God's love. And it was a word that had been around a long time. So when, when John said, God so loved the world, they didn't go, oh, what kind of love is that? Uh, it was a word everybody knew. That's the way it was written. It just means a deep, heartfelt love. You know, there's eros love, which is what we see mostly today. It's, it's all physical. There's phileo love, which is buddy love. I love you, man, love. And then there is, there is agape. But 12, 13 times in the New Testament, it's used very negatively. For instance, John 3, it says, they love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's agape. That's not God's love. It's an evil love. So when he said, I want you to have charity, that's agape. What he's saying is, I want you to have a deep, heartfelt love. Lost people have that kind of love um, for certain things. And sometimes not good things. So I'm actually, believe it or not, I'm going somewhere with this. I want us to talk 45 years from now. I mean, we, we were talking yesterday and Faith made a, uh, a statement. We were talking about another entity. It wasn't a church and it seems to be uh, on life support. They're going to have to turn off the machines, so to speak. And she said, you know, things are born, they live, and they die. Uh, they do. By the way, the church at Ephesus is not there anymore. 
it died. Churches are like people. They have birth, they have infancy, they have childhood, they go up into their productive middle years and then they begin to decline. And sometimes life can be breathed back into them. Often it's not. And so 45 years from now, in all likelihood, your pastor will no longer be the pastor here. It would be an an unusually long ministry. He might be, but if he is, he'll probably be so old that he's just screwing this thing into the ground. Uh, And so we got to hope that he wakes up and leaves. Uh, I love you, man. Uh, So... Here's what Paul is telling Timothy. He says, uh, stuff's creeping in, and you need to stop it. And what you need to do is get these people to understand that if you're going to make it, if you're going to go from survival mode to prosper mode, we might say, um, you need to get off that stuff, and you have to understand that you're going to have to love from a pure heart, good conscience, and uh, sincere faith. So I want us to talk about that a little bit this morning because this is key. It's an anniversary. So where are we going to be next year? Where are we going to be? Well, we don't know, but if you want a good shot at being what you should be, this is going to be key. And uh, I see movement around here in some areas that are so so tuned into this. And if this is the normal church, there's some people that are not, maybe not quite on board with it. And so let's talk. Okay? Let's talk about love a little bit. We all know the word. Uh, Most of us don't know what it means because we use it for everything. Love is one of those English words that it means everything, so it means really nothing. I mean, you love your car, you love potato salad, you love your wife, you love your kids. We love everything. I love that show, man. I drove a pickup when I was younger called a love, a Chevy love. I, I not only did I love my truck, I love my love. And, and, and it, it's easy to get confused about it. Uh, but yet as Christians, it's a center of where we are and who we are. Uh, just and, and I won't spend long here, but the spiritual and eventually our physical rescue, that's what salvation means, by the way. It's, it's, it's just a great word for rescue. Jesus came on a rescue mission. It comes because God loved us. God loved the world so much. God so loved the world. It's funny, that started with him, didn't it? It doesn't say we so loved God that he sent his only son, or we begged God. God loved us so much he sent his son, and his son loved us so much that he gave his life. And and then we're born again, and his Holy Spirit moves into our hearts. And by the way, the Holy Spirit's more than a doctrine. He's a person. And, and then we, we began to love. We love the God who saved us. And we love the brethren. You know, John had a lot to say about that in those last few letters. And then we began to love lost people. It's a heart change. Now, so let's talk about this love. There are three kinds of love. Now, these are my categories. Somebody may call them something else. That's okay. These work for me, but here are the three kinds of love I think we'll find. First, we find natural love, Um, and everybody has this. Unless you're a sociopath, you have this. Natural love is I love you if or I love you because. 
I love you because you're, you're lovable. Or I love you because you love me. It's hard not to love somebody that loves you, right? You may be impatient with them, but yeah. Uh, I remember I worked at a bank over here at one time when we were getting this church started. And I was a teller and some elderly lady came in and I did something to help her. I don't even remember what it was now. At one time I could have told you, but we had a little lady named Margaret. I remember just a little older lady and... Whatever it was that had happened, she came over later and she said, I love you for doing that. And uh, I thought, well, if I didn't do it, you wouldn't have loved me. Uh, well, it's natural. Uh, you, you can take crime bosses. Hitler loved his German shepherd. And he, and he loved Eva Braun. Uh, it was because of love. And then you have what we could call legal love. That is to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, it's Old Testament command. goes all the way back to the law. Uh, I think that one can be taught. And, and we, we do. We do teach it. We teach it to our kids, don't we? You teach them to share. They're two pieces, they're two cookies, one's bigger than the other. And we tell them, now you leave the bigger one because that's what you would like someone to do if they chose first. And we work because we're naturally selfish. So we work to teach them to be generous and treat people the way you would like to be treated. You should treat people the way you want to be treated. If people do that, it sure makes society work better. And then we have what we could call supernatural love. John 13, Jesus said, I have a new commandment for you. That you love one another. I, I just wonder how many of the apostles were going, that's not a new commandment. That's in Deuteronomy, man. That is not a new commandment. What was new about that? I think it's verse 34 we find that verse. He said, a new commandment I have for you, that you'd love one another as I have loved you. That's a sacrificial love. <coughs> Jesus didn't treat people the way he wanted to be treated. He treated them better. He gave up so much for us. Yeah, it's, it's different than I'll love you with or because. It's anyway love, I guess we could call it. Uh, and that third love comes from God. I don't think you can teach that one. I mean, I can describe it for you, but I can't give it to you. And so if you're waiting for me to get to the end so I can hand you some tracker brochure that has six easy steps to supernatural love, I don't have one. And I'm not writing one. But I do want to talk to you about this because... What it does is, is it, it, this kind of love explains verse 4. It explains the substitution. What does a Christian community, a church, what does a Christian community do when we're not really doing the supernatural love thing? <clears throat> when it's not common. When it's not normal. Well, you want evidence of spirituality, right? Right? Are you spiritual? Am I spiritual? Are they spiritual? 
uh, are these godly people or are they not? Well, let me tell you, in the first century, uh, those first churches, I'll tell you how they knew. It was, it was by the way they loved. That's what you looked for. Uh, you didn't look over and, and all of a sudden you see a lady's ankles and you say, well, you hussy. She is not a spiritual woman. Look at that. It was love. Let me give you a, a couple of history points, first century church. The Romans didn't do so much abortion. That was ahead of them, but they had unwanted children. <clears throat> so what was very common and it was very accepted is if you had a child you didn't want, you were hoping for a boy and you got a girl or whatever, you took the child out to the dump, the infant, and you left it and let it die of exposure. It was very common. And what the Christian community started doing was they'd go harvest those babies. They would go pick them up before they died and raise them. Interestingly enough, they didn't make signs and pick at the dump. They didn't yell murderer as people went by. They didn't, they didn't petition Nero to change the law. They just went out and harvested those babies and raised them. Sacrificial. How you reckon a young person would respond when they find out how they were raised when they began to share the gospel? I, I, I got an idea you had a hearing ear. Don't you? Um, plague would come through. Back in those early days before they found out what spread it for a long time, every century or so a plague would come through. And the only way really to deal with it at that time, if you knew if, and had the means, is people just scattered. They left town. You got out of town until it settled down, and then you went back. And what the Gentiles were doing is if a member of their family contracted the plague, they would leave you know, some water and a little food by them, and they left. And they let them lay there and die because they didn't want to get it. And Christians would go into those homes and nurse those people. And many of the Christians contracted the plague and died, but we know there if, if, if treated, a certain segment of people who contract the plague survived. And some of those people lived and recovered. How you reckon they responded to the gospel message after people hazarded their lives in the name of Christ? It's supernatural love. And it was the mark of those first communities. But with time, that began to dissipate and disappear. And people just weren't doing it. You remember that first church in Jerusalem, those people had come in and they came for like a week and they were born again and they stayed. And, and then some of them who were residents of Jerusalem, as people figured out what they were doing, they were put out of the synagogues. And that was a big deal. All of a sudden your family has nothing to do with you. People won't do business with you. 
Your neighbors won't talk to you. Your family won't help you. And so the wealthier people began to sell their stuff and bring it in and lay it at the apostles' feet so everybody could eat. Sacrificial love. That's what got Ananias and Sapphira in so much trouble when they lied about their love. They wanted, that wasn't sacrificial love, that was ego, and they wanted credit. But that begins to disappear. Now, it's real easy before that. That Barnabas is a spiritual guy. Look at him. Never gets the limelight, but he's always pulling the freight, and look at what he's given up, and... and but then you're not seeing that anymore. So what we do, it's very natural, is we begin to codify our Christianity in order to tell. And we have done that. We call it today neo-legalism. Uh, legalism says you've got to trust Christ plus this to be saved. And the legalists were around in Jesus' day. They're still around, by the way. But neo-legalism says you hold these standards or you're not spiritual. Right? So if you don't dress this way, you're not spiritual. If you don't listen to this music, you're not spiritual. If you go to this place, you go to the movies. You know, I, I grew up in a church that if you went to the movies, well, you might you are going to hell as sure as an arrow will hit its mark. If you go to the movie, you're supporting Hollywood. Uh, I'm an analytical. I had a problem with that one. But we, we had these standards, and we, and we had to adhere, adhere to them. Because if someone says, well, is, who's spiritual? Well, well, he's spiritual. Just look at him. He's dressed right. He's carrying the right Bible. He's got the right church doctrine. Uh, his baptism, you know, and, and he's holding the standards. So he's spiritual. And I'm spiritual. Just look at me. Right? I don't drink, I don't cuss, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go with the girls that do, and, and I'm spiritual. I've got chihuahuas, they don't drink, cuss, smoke, or chew. <laughs> and so we add the behavior, the separation, the maturity. We're able to point to each other, and uh, the intentions are good, but what happens is with time they'll evolve into false teaching. They just always do. And, and this is what was happening in Ephesus, is they started off this wonderful, loving community, and as that began to wane, people were coming in and saying, well, well let me help you with this. Let me give you some targets to shoot for. Uh, I think we've lost that love deal. Probably didn't even realize it. So let me give you some things, and we'll give you things that will help you know. And we still do this today. Uh, sometimes they're, they're really good things, by the way, but... Some of them can be unbiblical, and the evidence or the emphasis on them becomes unbiblical. And so it's hard to get back to that. It's hard to find it. So you, we have a lot of churches like that. I grew up in a church like this. Um, we just, uh, you're almost given a set of rules when you went in, and if you'll follow these, and, and I i got to tell you, I grew up, all the way up into my adulthood, I was, you know, where Romans 8, 1 says, there's therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. I would read that and think, oh, yes, there is. So I was one condemned dude. Um, I grew up in a group that if you, 
If you had the right Bible, you came to church every time the doors were open, you read your Bible every day, and you invited people to church, you were okay. You were one of us. You were spiritual. Problem is, I didn't feel okay. And then there are always the sub things. And I honestly felt like I felt like somebody had painted a line on the wall, and if I stood on my tiptoes and held my arm up enough, I could touch it. And I felt good while I was touching the line. But I knew I was going to give out and take my hand off that line. It's kind of like holding my breath. I might get to where I could hold it longer, but I know I'm going to let it out. And, and when I wasn't touching the line, I felt condemned. And I knew God loved me. He had to love me. He said he would love me. He promised to love me. He didn't like me. He was stuck, though, because he said he would love me. And it was hard on me. I lived till I was 40 that way. And it was such a breath of fresh air when I realized one day that God delights in me the way I delight in my grandchildren. And let me tell you something, my grandchildren can tick me off sometimes. But I can remember watching them walk, learning to walk. And you say, come here, come here, and they get halfway there and boom. You know what I'm talking about? It's a good thing God builds them close to the ground because boom. I didn't jump up and grab them and paddle them because, you know, what is wrong with you? I was thrilled that they made a few steps. So, here's what we're going to do. If you're going to prosper, now you can survive without this, I'm telling you. But if you're going to prosper, you're going to have to have genuine love for one another. That's the test. That's verse 5. Pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. Nobody likes insincere love, do they? We spot it pretty quick, don't we? That smarmy salesman stuff. My dad, my dad, he's gone now, but he was a very, very quiet man. Very backward. Uh, I, I remember I grew up in church. and We always went, but I remember I had one of the teens in church ask me once if my dad ever talked. They'd never heard his voice. <clears throat> I am not exaggerating. And uh, he just, he was a good man. But he was not outgoing. My mom is outgoing. And that's an understatement. And she's still living. But Dad, uh, I, I remember one year, we used to have, do you all still do watch night services? We did those for years. And they worked in, they worked in Crane. I, I, here's what we, the church I grew up in, on New Year's Eve, we would have a big meeting. And the job of the men was to keep the pastor out of the pulpit. And they were given up to 15 minutes to speak. And every man would bring a, a message. We had one guy named Robert Horton who was long-winded. And every, he would speak until at 15 minutes. Brother Moffat would pull your plug, man. And the next year he'd get up and say, as I was saying, and he'd pick right back up. And, uh, but... Some guys, they, they, you just get a few minutes. And, of course, we're young preacher boys. I'm in, I'm in Bible college. We, we had a lot more preacher boys than chances to preach. And so that was, it was our shot. And I remember every year Brother Moffat would call on my dad. 
I, I, to this day, I, I wonder that Dad took us to those watch night services because he knew he was going to be called on. And I, I can imagine how he felt sitting back there knowing his name. And he'd get up and he'd say, well, I'll say I'm thankful I'm from Texas. and uh, I'm not part of Vietnam. And he'd sit down. He did it every year. And I remember one year I was called after him and I got up and I said, if, if I look very uncomfortable, you have to pardon me. I had a, I had a sermon prepared, but my dad preached it. <laughs> and uh, brought the house down. Uh, so, you know what? There was a point to this story. And I've, I've forgotten it. Uh, What was I getting at, honey? <laughs> it's a good point, man. Sincere love. Yeah, it's something about sincere love. That's what I'm <laughs> preaching about. But uh, I'll come to it here in a little bit. It's a pretty good story, though, wasn't it? I, and it's true. Um, I got carried away. All right, so moving off of that, where was I? And so, uh, okay, I'm, I'm not even looking at the right point here. I've gotten so confused I'm on the wrong. I still use notes, by the way. I'm trying to bring it in where pastors let people know they do, but it's not catching on. Um, so, um, love like this. Okay, we were talking about, oh, yes, okay. I'm buying my first car, 1965 Volkswagen Beetle. This is in 1972. 65 Volkswagen Beetle, 1,200cc motor. My motorcycle has a 1,700cc motor. (laughs) It's a little engine. And I had to pay it, I had to pay it out. It was 600 and something dollars. Now, this is in 72. Those of you who live back there know that was some money. And, and I had a job, and I was going to make payments, but my dad had to sign. So he's up doing this deal, and this salesman kept calling. My dad's name was Desmond. Desmond. My mom wanted to name me Desmond. Dad said, you're not naming him Desmond. I never liked that name. She said, well, you pick a name. So he said, all right, Lyndall. So the salesman keeps calling him Dez. Hey, Dez. Hey, Dez. He's doing this. You know, he touch her. Dez. What do you think, Dez? And I'm watching my dad do a slow boil. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to get this car. Two more Dezes and we're out of here. Because this smarmy salesman who's acting like he's my dad's friend, and he would not have taken the time to push him off a shelf, you know. And dad was dad sitting here quiet and... And uh, I got the car, but uh, uh, Dad probably lost two days of his life over it. <laughs> Nobody likes that. Nobody likes f- that fake put-up love. And we see too much of it. But he wants us to have sincere love. And uh, what makes for that kind of love compared to the put-on stuff? Because we've probably all been, all been guilty of it. Well, that kind of love works itself out of us, not into us. It starts from the inside, and it can be tough. Let me tell you, 
Um, that kind of love loves unlovable people. God so loved the world because we were so lovable. We are not. And you may think you are. Well, I'm lovable. No, you're not. I remember Billy Buckingham. You remember Billy Buckingham? Always liked Billy Buckingham. He read the verse one time and told us that God will change our vile bodies. And he said, your body is vile, and if you don't think so, just don't wash it for a few days. And I thought, I got that. We're not that lovable. I, I, I may have told this before. I've, got, I've still got her. There are certain things in my ministry that have held firm. I've been in, this the, my third place to be, was in, in League City for 12 years, Crane almost 19. I've been here, we're in our 11th. I always have at least one paranoid schizophrenic. They, they're attracted to me, sometimes two. And I've learned to deal with them pretty well. And I always have at least one of what I call a Zeke, because we had one at Trentman. It's the person that's not quite right. And uh, sometimes a real challenge. And I have a Zeke right now, female. Her name's Jeannie. She's about 60 years old now. When she was 26, she had a brain surgery and had a stroke on the table. She drags a leg. Um, her teeth are bad, the one she still has. She doesn't have good hygiene. Uh, she's very childlike in the way she thinks. And so if, if I'm standing and have somebody's hands and we're praying, she'll walk up and say, hey, preacher, and just start talking. Uh, she is not an attractive person. She is not lovable, let me tell you. And she, here's, here's what makes it worse. She is a hugger. And I'm not talking about a buddy hug. I'm talking about the full frontal hug. And she has got to hug me. When she comes into the church, she starts looking for me, and I'm going to get the full body hug. I know it. Now, I don't mind hugging. But she's not huggable. And I had met her doing a hospital visit, and somehow... I attract them. And she starts coming to church and she would track me down and give me the hug. And I caught myself if I spotted her coming in the door because she moved slow and I can move fast. I'm, 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 I'm old, but I can be quick. And I would go to the other end of the building. And sometimes I could get all the way into the service with things going without getting the hug. I'm so proud of this. And one day, our, our auditorium sits here. We have a vestibule. You can come in this side or this side, and you have your lobby. One day, I'm over here at these glass doors. I'm doing the morning pace. We pastors do that. You go from door to door. And I look over, and she's coming up to that glass door, and I turned around and started heading back toward my office. I got about halfway there. The Holy Spirit said in my ear, if Jesus was here, you think he'd run from that girl? 
stop. And my first response was, well, Jesus is not here. <laughs> Just being honest with you. <clears throat> and I had to stand there for a minute, and so I turned around and went back, and I have made it a point. When Jenny comes in, I, I go find her, I Jenny, and I go give her the hug. So it's happening. And this is a woman that's unattractive. She's invisible in society. Nobody talks to her. People don't want to look at her. She is uh, hard to talk to. And she's slow because of the stroke. But she's like most people that are a little slow. They're very sensitive. And believe me, they pick it up in a hurry if you talk down to them or you're hard to them. And uh, I, I don't even correct her much because it hurts her. And... I don't know how long she'd have gone before she figured out I was ducking her, but she'd have figured it out. And, uh, hey, Christian love is loving unlovable people. I mean, Mother's Day, often we'd have the mom stand, and then we'd tell, I don't know if y'all ever did this, but we would, you know, now if your mom is here, I want you to go hug her and, and tell her you love her. And sometimes I'd watch, and you'd have some guy, and he'd go hug every pretty girl in the, church you masher well that's easy they're huggable how do you do you know we we start thinking that we're doing pretty good with that and when we do God puts somebody in our life that just steps on our last nerve and says let me know how that one works for you well, that's where your love, that's, that's the real thing. And that's hard. Um, real love loves sacrificially. And, and sometimes, you know, I, some people can be very generous. I, I can write a check. I'm good at that. Well, hey, oh, yeah, I'll help you with that. Let me write a check. Well, we'd rather have a day of your life. Well, you're not getting a day. I'm busy. And I'm not doing that. But let me write you a check. Sometimes it costs us. That's what make things, makes things... I'm, you know, I'm watching this program you guys got. Uh, and Macaulay <clears throat> said yesterday... Uh, Pastor Austin said yesterday that how many churches were involved, but just so many actually kept the people. And so I got... I didn't ask, but I got the idea some kind of help with funding and different things, but... They don't have the time. Uh, yeah, maybe they don't have the facilities, too. I'm not sure. But, but it's easy to write a check. But you have them in the building? We, we started a WANA program. I, we just had this big hole. I know I'm going along. Hang on. We had this big hole. We didn't have certain ages of kids. We were trying to do something about it. I'd never, I've always been critical of a WANA. I just was critical of it. It cost a lot of money. That was an issue. Took a lot of volunteers. And so it tended to take over. So I'd say, well, we're going to have one a Sunday night. The next thing you know, they got a class in here for eight toothless adults that don't want to work with kids. And everybody else is doing a one, and it just takes over. And I'm never having that. And I began to think about it. And I remember mentioning it to Donna. And Donna looks at me like, are you nuts? Because all she'd ever heard was negative and I said, well, you know, uh, 
So I began to look into it. And I decided, well, I think I, I want us to try this. And we're going to do it on Sunday night because that's our weakest night. And we can start earlier and get the people out earlier. Everybody does it on Wednesday. I figured we're going to do this and then we're going to go, oh, that's why everybody does it on Wednesday. But we're going to try on Sunday. I began to talk to the people about it and, and I said, here's what we're going to do. I said, it costs money. We're going to spend it. It takes a lot of volunteers. If you come on Sunday night, you're going to work in Awana. We're not going to have a class for other people. If you come, we're going to invest this in our kids and we need you to come work. And, of course, I had those few people. Well, the pastor said we can't even come to church if we don't work in a want. You know? Well, I kind of did, but I didn't say it that way. But the fact was we were giving Sunday night to those kids. And then uh, it's not going to take over because we're going to give it over. That's what we're going to do. We signed up to go to an all-day deal on Saturday to see if we're going to work. I had 26 people go. And first thing off, they said, you've got to have a commander, which was me. I'm the commander. And I want a badge, right? And they said, now the commander's got to be very innovative. He's got to be very creative. Donna looked over and said, you're not going to be the commander. I, have n- I, don't, I never think of anything. If I have a good idea, I brag about it for two years. I'm so impressed with myself. Because I just don't. I'm a tuner refiner. I don't, I'm not creative. And so I looked over at our music guy and I said, you're the commander. And he has been. We've been doing this nine or ten years now. And uh, promoted this thing. Awana is work. I understand why some churches get, let it go because they got eight, eight adults trying to do this Awana. We have got a, I mean, we have got um, sometimes one to two ratio with our workers. We got a lot of workers. And we are exhausted when it's over. We got these parents, they bring their kids, they drop them off, and hidey ho, man, they've got an hour and 40 minutes away from the kids, and they don't go to church, but that's okay. We got them for an hour and 40 minutes, and, and this thing is so busy, it's so complicated. I thought, we're going to just be bumping off of each other, but we don't. It just runs, and, and we have, uh, uh, they memorize the word, and then they go home, and they got these workbooks, and mom and dad have to help them. I mean, it's a really good program, and we have picked some families up, but basically we're doing some ministry. But you know what? We, we have got some adults. It's, it's, it's sacrificial. They show up out of breath. They wear this goofy T-shirt, and to be honest, the whole program just sounds goofy to me, but it works. And the kids love it. And some... Churches have an Awana store, and a lot of them don't, but we do. We have an Awana. People bring stuff. These kids win Awana bucks, and they go shop with them. And then not all, everybody gives them a snack, but we do snacks because we had so many adults to start with. We needed somebody to fix snack just to give them a job. And we had older guys showing up just walking around talking to people. And it's cost us. It drains us a little bit. But you know what? I... It's the essence of love. It's sacrificial. We try and get that across. Well, this is a lot of work. You, well, you think? Why do you think they call it God's work? Well, duh. You know, what do you do that you sacrifice for? We don't sacrifice much, do we? Boy, there's a whole sermon there. You almost have to find a place to sacrifice. It's kind of like exercise. You know, I go to a gym twice a week, and sometimes I exercise. 
No, I go twice a week. I do kind of a grandpa thing. I know. But the reason I do is because my job is sedentary. I, I, I sit at home. I sit in the car. I sit at my desk. Uh, sometimes I get up and move around. I like to get coffee. And, uh, and then I, go, I get in the car and sit in the car and go to somebody's house and sit in the house. And so I have to find a way to exercise. So they've made these machines so that I can pretend to work. Basically, because I, I don't do physical work. I don't turn a wrench or anything. Um, we don't sacrifice much. We're not from those days when it could cost us our job or cost us our family or cost us our lives or uh, our livelihood. Or well, You got to look for a place to sacrifice. Boy, it was David who said, God forbid that I offer to God that which cost me nothing. What do you sacrifice? Well, that's real love. I got to move, got to move, got to move. It's loving somebody that doesn't love you back. How's that? Have you ever done something nice for somebody they didn't thank you properly? You thought, well, let me just keep your number in case hell does freeze open. <laughs> Not doing that for you again. I expect a little appreciation. It's loving when you don't get the credit. I don't know any pastor that's pastored very long that didn't have somebody hand them a check just before they went into the pulpit hoping that they'd mention, well, Brother Spugani just gave. And I refuse to do that. Consequently, we're always hurting. Uh, it's behaving in a loving manner and really when you, people love that way you don't need many rules that's the thing um, God gave the ten commandments because they needed them but if they'd really loved each other he wouldn't have had to say don't covet your neighbor's wife you wouldn't do that you love your neighbor uh, he wouldn't have said don't steal you wouldn't steal from somebody you love right uh, you just wouldn't have to do that. But let me tell you, some people just don't love. I'm closing. It's a guy, I think he's Middle Othian. Steve Ham, you know Steve Ham? Okay, is he a Middle Othian? He was a Ferris. Ferris. Years ago, he'd been there a long time. Years ago, Steve Ham was telling us one day, young guy, he was trying to get his people go, to reach out, to go. And he had a guy come up to him, and he said, and this is an old state church, he came up to him and said, I got two friends named, he said, we want to start a band, and we're going to go around and play, like, you know, at reunions and, and different things, and see if we can reach people. And Steve, here's what he thought, none of these three guys can play an instrument. So he said, sure. And they all went out and learned to play instruments. And they got a band. And they started bringing people in. And it split his church. Because the people didn't approve of the kind of music they were playing. It was country, but they didn't like them singing in the choir if they were going to play that kind of music. And they didn't like the people coming in that were kind of rough like they were because they weren't our kind of people. Translate that. They weren't lovable. And it split his church. He never saw it coming. By the way, he's still there. Good for Steve. I believe he's still there. So when we're really loving, there is no such thing as our kind of people. Right? Everybody's our kind of people. That's, that's what makes a church loving. They walk in and they see a guy, you know, the guy with the tats and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, 
Everybody here knows who, if you've been here long, knows who Claude Craven is. His boy, Richard. Richard was a mess. Richard straightened his life up, went to Lubbock, decided to plant a church. New Testament Baptist Church, still there. A guy named Tracy Spencer pastors it now. Richard's gone home to be with the Lord. Richard went in, got him a place to meet, and he started taking out TV ads that said, I'm a mess. I'm a recovering alcoholic, and I'm on my fourth marriage. And we're starting a church, and if you are a mess, come to our church. That was basically the commercial. Every pastor in town was ticked at him because he was taking people out of their church. People were saying, I want to go to that. And... <laughs> And they started coming, and it was like, I mean, you've never been in a, I went there one night for some deal. It was like a cross between a church and a rescue mission. It was, it was a mess. <laughs> but anybody could go. Amen. I remember they had, they had a drummer, them devil drums, and they had this guy playing that was wearing a leather vest with no shirt, and he, <laughs> and he, he, he just looked like he called crawled through a cactus patch and into a pigsty, if you know what I mean. And he's up there and he's wailing away. He's like monster on the Muppets. He's wailing away on these drums. Weird looking fella. Right in the middle of the platform. And here he'd go and we're all, and every once in a while he'd be playing and he'd go. And, and here he'd go again. And I remember thinking, what meaneth this? And this guy was up there. But you know, after a while, those pastors in those churches, if they got some guy that didn't fit right, they'd send him over. They'd send him to Richard because they weren't our kind of people. And we have a trouble with those rough cases. And he started getting referrals from those people that didn't like him coming to town because they didn't really want those kind of people. They don't always smell good and they, and they maybe sit too close or they don't know how to behave properly. And he built a pretty good work. Yeah. Well, that's just good old Christian love. Simple. It's just not easy. So, here we go. That kind of love has byproducts. Here's what it'll do for you. Gives you unity. Not uniformity, but unity. So the guy that wears the suit's just fine, and the guy that doesn't. And why do we wear suits? Because they look good, right? They hadn't changed so much in 100 years. You know why? They look good. They'll hide a multitude of things. But not everybody wears them. And that's okay, too. Because everybody's our kind of people. And so we got people in here that listen to different kind of music, and that's okay. And some of them think things are funny. I've got a church, young people, they think things are funny that are not funny. I'm sorry, Will Ferrell is not funny. <laughs> Reindeer, whatever, that, no, Elf, it's not funny. <laughs> but young people think it is. And while I'm on the dress thing, thank you, Pastor, for not wearing skinny jeans today. I know. <laughs> Just want to commend you and encourage you. Um, Mutual patience. You're patient with people. It's hard to be patient sometimes. We're not a patient society, right? We want it now. But we begin to be patient. And people that try our patience, we find that we love them enough to be patient. And you find spiritual liberty. Um, 
I grew up in a church where you didn't raise your hand. I remember going to a Bill Gothard deal with Rick one time, one day thing, and we're sitting at the back, of course, <laughs> chief seats in the synagogue, back for a while, and uh, we're, we're in the back, and uh, they start singing a song, and all these people start raising their hands, and Rick leans over and says, boy, this is going to be good. Those people already have questions. <laughs> We didn't do that. Um, and I began to realize one day that sometimes amen just wasn't enough. I needed to do something. But I couldn't. And so when I, all the time I was at Tabernacle and Crane, sometimes I'd stand at the back because we got a band going and it was very contemporary. And, and man, they were going. And in the back I could kind of raise my hand a little bit because nobody could see me. <laughs> But I, I couldn't, I did not have the liberty to do it. And, and I, it's embarrassing, but I didn't. And so when I came to Tanglewood, I mean, right off the bat, I thought, okay, okay. And I was up front and I started putting my hand up. Now, I don't put my hand up unless I'm really moved. It's not just, you know, oh, oh chorus, hand goes up. I don't do that. But, but you, you know, I was the only one. Donna, Donna's always been a little ahead of the curve on that with me, but... Um, but you know, over time, we have a lot of people raise their hands and they get a little rowdy, but they didn't have the liberty either. And, uh, but when you, when you begin to love each other, you get liberty. So you don't have to, but you can. Um, the Holy Spirit becomes active. We have relegated the Holy Spirit to theory because we're afraid of him a little bit. But, oh, let me tell you, if the Holy Spirit's not moving, things get mighty dry and dull, and he moves freely where there's real love. And I could just go on and on. So, Christian, how you doing, man? How you doing on this issue? Because here's the thing. Forty-five years later, Paul wrote to this church. Revelation 2. To the church at Ephesus, I write. Ephesus may have been Paul's best ministry. And he said, I know your works. You ought to read the list. I don't know a pastor anywhere who wouldn't want to pastor that church. Man, your doctrine's sound. Your practice is sound. You don't, you don't take error. You're patient with your lives. You've endured suffering. He goes down the list and he said, I, I, I got this thing against you though. You don't love like you used to. Well, there's a problem back here. Paul saw it. He said, guys, if you don't love, you may survive, but you won't thrive. So 45 years from now, if Friendswood Baptist Church is here, and we don't know if Friendswood will be here in 45 years, but... Saying it is. And Macaulay's living in an old folks' home somewhere. You got another guy. How's your church going to be doing? Well, you really can't control the future, can you? But, but you can kind of set some patterns... And you're doing this. 
I mean, I'm seeing it. So, word of admonition. You're having some homeless people in here. I mean, we had some of that with Awana. Well, Pastor, I can remember when we didn't have all them smudges on those doors and we didn't have gum under our seats and, in fact, all of our toilets flushed. You can almost hear the apostles saying, send the multitude away. And you think, yeah, that's the cost. It's part of the cost. So, yeah, you'll have these people in here and sometimes they'll break something. Maybe somebody will take something. Maybe they won't be appreciative. Maybe they won't express proper gratitude. Maybe you'll get gamed. So if you get to where nobody can get to you, then God really can't use you. So you, you, you can't build those walls. And if, if you've been struggling with this a little bit, you need to get into this love thing. Love sacrificial. Love loves unlovable people. Love invests, it sacrifices, yeah, it goes. And if you do, you can get on board. And sometimes the only way you can do that is just to say to God, Lord, I cannot love this person. I cannot love this. You're going to have to love them through me because I can't do it. I don't have it. Yeah. I mean, I've got a Zeke. And it's hard. So can you love that person? Probably not in your own strength. But if the Holy Spirit's working in you, You'd be amazed how patient you'd be with people. What you can do. So get on board with this stuff. Because that's the key to the next anniversary being good. And the one after that being good. And the one that and I watch your pastor and his wife, they've caught a lot of that vision, man. They're 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 ready to go. Uh, don't hold that back. If you guys will get on that, like you, and I, I know you're doing good, but none of us have arrived, right? Um, if you do, then you're going to find out that you, you see the spirituality in one another and you don't have to have a list to check. It just comes from loving people. Yeah. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something bold, and that is just give God um, complete access to your heart right now. Father, one of those Psalm 139 things, search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Try me. Know my way. See if there's any wicked way in me. What do I grumble about? What do I recoil from? What am I struggling with? Father, is that a sign that I got a love issue? My heart's not right. 
I mean, I'm keeping the rules, man. I got the rules. But I'm right and I'm kind of angry about that. There's too much hatred and anger in our Christianity. And it's no wonder people don't want a part of it. I know we get a lot of a bum rap, but we ask for some of it. My, when someone walks in here and they look and they see how different you are from each other and yet how much you love each other, it's hard to argue with that. Don't impede that. And if God's spoken to your heart this morning, if He hasn't, that's fine. But if He has, if you're open to that, Lord, what do I need to change? What attitude needs to change? What action needs to change? How self-focused am I? Am I always acting in my own best interest? God, get me out of this because I don't have a pamphlet. You're going to have to give that to God. But he'll do it. I mean, he made a Paul out of Saul. You know what Paul did for a living? He hunted down Christians and helped in the process of putting them to death. He was a professional Christian killer. And uh, I bet nobody in here got that problem. And look what God did for him. And if you do the temperament thing, he was a choleric. And a choleric will stomp a mud puddle with you and never give it a second thought. And yet he made him, God made him a loving man. He can do it. Give yourself to him. Father, now you know my heart and as a witness. You know I am not. I don't know anybody's story here. And this, this, this could be a group where everybody is thinking, yeah, amen, we got that covered. And I, I thank you for that if it's the case. But Lord, you know hearts. I don't. You do. And Father, you know if if any of us here have have struggled with some of this. Maybe in just some area. And we didn't mean to and we haven't thought about it and it's just the way we were raised and taught or trained and it's the way we are. And we've just kind of Chalk things up to I'm that way. You have to understand I'm just that way. And I pray that you'll show us that I'm just that way won't cut it with you, that you can change us. And that we would say, Lord, change me. Make me more what I should be. I'm ready to grow. I'm ready to go forward. None of us are too old. If we were, you wouldn't have left us here. And that we would do this thing for you that you would do this thing through us. And I pray, Father, that you will bless and prosper this church. Here they are in the middle of Friendswood for some reason. You put them here. You've preserved them almost miraculously. Certainly it was a work of God that you did. You've put your man here and his family. I see members here that I remember back as far as I remember this church. Oh God, let them be an even greater testimony to the work you can do inside of us. Lord, we'll thank you for it. In fact, we thank you now. 
And we pray it in the matchless name of Jesus Christ who showed us really how to love. Amen.